So we're going to continue our series in Ephesians on the sword of the Spirit. Uh, That's our next element here. We've got potentially one more week after this as we work through this. Not exactly sure, but we are definitely preaching today on the sword of the Spirit, which is the last part of verse 17. Um, And this is, I have to say, is um, is a very humbling section of text because clearly we teach through the Word of God, but here it specifically speaks about the Word of God. And there's some great truths for us here this morning, and I'm, I'm excited to go through this. But I want us to continue as we go through the series to remember a couple of things. Remember, our battle is against what? The devil, and it's against the truth and the lies more particularly, correct? I'm going to try to use my hands a little bit more than normal. Ozone told me um, two hands. He told me I don't have enough down to buy in my preaching. So I'm going to try to, try to exercise that a little bit more today. And I, I've got some things to help me with that. But I want, to, I want to leave us with a quote here that Pastor Ben said in one of the earlier messages. And it said, the Christian life is a battle. The battle in the life of the believer centered around what we will believe. Will we stand firm in the gospel truth that has been established in our hearts? Or will, or will we believe the lies of Satan as he seeks to use any means necessary to sideline us from being useful for kingdom purpose? And that's what's here for us today as believers in this battle, is whether we will be useful or not for the kingdom. But we must remember that the truth that we have is the Word of God. That is where truth comes from. In our culture today, truth can be quite relative, right? It sometimes and can often be moved by our emotions and our feelings. But if you know anything about your emotions and your feelings, they're fickle. Um, they change and they vary. But the one thing that is always consistent and always true is the Word of God, regardless of who we are. And I just want to to take an opportunity um, to thank you personally, Pastor Ben, on behalf of me and the staff, on your commitment of teaching through the Word of God. Um, Thank you very much. It's It's what we need. It's good for us. It has done such a work in my life, and I know that ultimately, as our as our vision statement says, that we are equipping the saints. This happening through the Word of God. And that's where we are today. So I'm going to read as we've had in the past couple weeks, starting in verse 10. So we get the whole picture here. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. And in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. All right, so that's where we're going to begin today. Just a quick note, the phrase, sword of the Spirit, is found just this one time here in Scripture. Um, And there's some very profound things that go with it. But just like the shield of faith and the helmet of salvation, Scripture tells us here that we take it up, right? So it's something, it's not a part of our clothing, it's something that we literally take up and we bring it into position of use. So this idea of take up still is applying here with the sword. And for some of you, you may say, well, my Bible is the Word of God, and this is my sword, but it goes a little bit deeper than you just taking up this book and throwing it at someone or engaging someone in a physical manner with this. Please do not use this as your sword physically, right? But there's three things that we see here in that text. We see three definite articles. I'll tell you something. I'm not a grammar major. Um, by any means. It is what I have always struggled with in school. But I do know one thing, and I'm very proud of this, that I know what a definite article is, right? So when it says the, it's different than if it says a, right? So if you go to the Home Depot, that's the one on Martin Luther King with the orange on it, right? And then we, but we see three of these here as well. We see the sword, the spirit, and the word of God. So we're not talking about a sword, and we're not talking about a spirit, and we're not talking about a word. We're talking about the word of God here today. 
So that's what we're going to look at first. I want to lay out some groundwork of this idea here. So I want to talk about the sword first. You may have noticed this sword that just broke from Amazon for $35. And you would be greatly wounded if this would have been on your person. But I didn't come to show you the sheath. I came to show you the sword. So this here would be a close representation of the Roman sword that they would have had in the day. My wife said I really like to say this word, and it is true, because in the Greek, this is called the makara. Can you say that with me? The makara, right? And what that meant was it was very specific. It was not just any sword. It was short in in nature. See this here? It was one that when in battle, you could bring inside of the frame of your body. It was a common one for the Roman uh, foot soldier, sharper. You see here, we got two edges to it. As you can see, this is not sharp by my fingers going across it. Um, but I could poke you with this, and it would hurt. Um, but this was the design of the, Romans, of the Roman sword. It would have been kept at their side in a, a scabbard. that would have been leather, not plastic and broken in nature. Um, and it would have been ready for easy access so that you could take it up, right? It would be quick, something that you could bring to yourself right then and right there. If you remember when the soldiers came to arrest Jesus in the garden, this is what they would have had. This is what Peter used to cut off that guy's ear because he missed his head, right? So he wasn't very precise with his sword, as the Word of God is in our lives, as we'll see later. But this is what it would have looked like. And I'm going to simulate a battle a little bit later, so just wait. It's going to get even more exciting. So that takes us to the sword, right? But the next part we see here in that text is the Spirit. The Spirit. That the Spirit is not just speaking in the sense that this book is a spiritual book, What it's speaking to is the very origin of this book, being the Holy Spirit, and that it is, it is the Spirit, right? It's not just a sidebar. Remember, once again, it is the. It's actually, it's definite. It's something that we have to stand on. Look what it said there in John 14, 7. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him. For he dwells with you and will be with you. That's the same spirit that we're talking about here with the sword. As a believer, the Holy Spirit is that teacher of truth that dwells within us as believers. The Holy Spirit is what does that work in us. We see in John 14, 26, a little bit later, Jesus is talking to him there. He says, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you, right? So the Holy Spirit does the teaching, and it helps us bring back to memory what we've been taught. The Spirit is what does that for us. It's what teaches us. It's, what's, it's why when we engage the Bible, we're taught. It's why our, we're ministered to. That's why all of a sudden when you're reading the Bible, you go, wow, I never saw that. I never considered that. I never thought that. That's not just your amazing IQ level, Right? That is the work of the Holy Spirit that's working in your heart and in your mind, revealing the truths of Scripture to you. And I want to encourage you in that because I believe, and I've heard it many times, I've seen it to be true in my own life, that when you read a section of Scripture, you say, I don't get it. I don't understand it. No matter how many times I read it, no matter what, no matter what, and we we begin to be defeated in that mentality. But church, it clearly tells us that the, ho- the Holy Spirit that dwells with you as a believer in Jesus Christ speaks to your heart. And yet you might not get it yet, and you might not see it yet, and you might need to read it another hundred times. But guess what? The Holy Spirit will reveal it to you. He's going to bring it to your remembrance. It has that kind of power, church. It's not just words on the page. It is the Spirit in this book that we look at. But then there's an application for us. So we see the sword of the Spirit, right? We've got to do more than just know what it is. So look here in 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5, and we'll see, this, we'll see this at work. For though we walk in the flesh, right? That's where we are. We're not waging war according to the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have, and this is key, divine power. And what does it have divine power? To destroy strongholds. That word destroy is powerful, right? When you think of destroy, it obliterates. It completely changes it. It moves it. It wipes it off. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge, which would be the truth of who God is. And we take every thought captive to obey Christ. 
That's what we do. But the word, the power, the divine power of the word of God is what does the work. It's where the battle is. It's what comes against that lie. It's what speaks against it. As New Testament Christians, Ben said in one of his first messages, he told us that story about that fly, right? And how there's this idea that we get out there and we got to find out if the devil's in the fly or not. And we spend a lot of time, unfortunately, sometimes trying to figure that out. But that's not what God's called us to. He's called us to truth and to combat error with truth. Not to be going out and trying to see if the devil's hiding behind the, the drums back there or if he's in the fly. But that we speak the truth and the truth that we speak is that of the word of God. Plain and simple. That's what we do. Look what, look what we see in Jude 9 with Michael the archangel. Look at, look at how he does this. He says, but when the archangel angel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. He stood on who the Lord was, because that's where we stand. The whole series is titled what? Stand. We stand on the truth of who God is. And we know that truth is the word of God, and that's what we stand on. And the last part there, that text, talks about the word of God, the word of God. And here's some things we know about it. 2 Timothy three sixteen and 17, all scripture. What scripture is that? All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. So where are we equipped for every good work? Through the word of God. Isaiah 48 says the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God will stand forever. There's power in that, church. There's power in the word of God. It stands forever. Look at what the Bible says about itself right here in this verse, that God, in fact, is the author of this book, right? All scripture is breathed out by God. We believe it to be inerrant and infallible, it doesn't, have, it doesn't have errors. It doesn't contradict itself. It's, it's perfect in its organization. It's complete. What did John say at the beginning of the book of Revelation? And it is, it's closed. That was all, all of Revelation was there. We don't know when Jesus is coming back, but we know he is. This book contains the complete revealed knowledge of who Christ is and with the finished work of the cross. That now we can be in right relationship with a holy God where we couldn't before. This Bible is complete. It's effective. It's actively working. When you, when you go to it and it works back and forth, there's cause and effect with the Word of God. It's not just one-sided. It does things. It's moving. It's valuable. It's determinative. It takes us as believers and points us in a direction. John says that we have a practice of righteousness is what he calls it. We practice righteousness. It points us in the way in which we obey Christ and we follow the ways of Christ. It's our source of joy, even when things aren't good. It gives us a hope and a peace. Even when you may not be able to smile, there's a joy that's inside of us because the Word of God is in our heart. It's our source of spiritual growth. We see in Scripture that it's like milk. It, it builds us up out of our salvation. It does a sanctifying work in our lives. And it's a source of power, divine power that you and I cannot get into ourselves that only comes through the Spirit and the Word of God. So we talked about the sword, the Spirit, and the Word of God. Those are the three parts there. I want us to look a little bit more here at this idea of this weapon. Because the Word of God, as we know, we're talking about a sword here, it's a very precise weapon. The first part I want us to look at, though, is some areas that where it's why it's precise. And why it's just not general. Because first of all, this would have been the only weapon, right, that we know that the Roman soldier would have had, just like for us. And it's not because we need to play down the fact that it's the only weapon. It's because it's all sufficient. It's the only weapon that we need. We don't need any other weapon. It's not, oh, poor thing, it's by itself. It is by itself because it stands upon itself because it is, in fact, all that we need. But the word there, we see the word. There's something that we need to look at there. There's actually, some of you may have heard this before, but there's, there's, there's two different meanings I want us to look at here for the word, word. So the first one, if many of you have heard, would be lagos, right? How many of you heard lagos? Actually, it's spelled L-O-G-O-S. Um, lagos, and that would have been, the, it is the spoken word, but it speaks of the totality of the fully inspired word of God, right? From cover to cover, top to front, back to side, and every other comparison that I cannot say right now is what it is. 
Like, for example, in John 1, right? In the beginning was the Word. Well, that, that scripture we see there speaks of the lagos. It's the total, the complete Word of, in all of its entirety. But we see something a little bit different here in this text. We see what's called the rhema word. How many of you heard the word rhema, R-H-E-M-A, the rhema word? It, too, is a spoken word, but it changes a little bit. It, it, it narrows the scope for us. It becomes something that's more specific. It's more than just a general idea, and although it doesn't change its power, what it is, it's a focusing. It brings it back in a little bit tighter. It's kind of like a, a zoom lens, right? So think about, for those of you guys that deer hunt, and you got a deer that's sitting out there about three, four hundred yards. If you had your scope set at a very, a very low magnification, um, you know, can you see it really good? Right? You, you may or may not even be able to discern that it's a deer. Uh, it may look like a tree. But there's this amazing feature we all have where you can zoom it in, right? And you dial it in, and all of a sudden you see exactly what you need to see. You see exactly where you need to aim. And, and it's kind of the same picture we see here. The rhema word is one that it brings it in and it makes it far more specific. It makes it way more specific. So let's look at that a little bit more. And remember, the lagos and the rhema word never disagree. It's not that one's battling against the other. It's all the word of God, but it helps us to understand what's happening a little bit more. But what happens as believers, if, if all we have is a broad general knowledge of the Word of God, and we don't have a very specific rhema understanding of the Word of God, who thinks you're going to get yourself into some trouble, right? Because just like with that gun, if you fire off a shot based on that little bitty dot that's in there that you may or may not be able to see, you're going to miss. Um, And then conversely, if you're being shot at, which prayerfully you're not, um, you still may be missed or you may be hit. The idea is we've got to be able to narrow this in a little bit more, and that's the sanctifying work for us as believers. We've got to be able to see what's going on here. So we see that this sword is offensive and defensive in nature. Would you agree? Would you agree a sword could be defensive? And would you agree it could be offensive? You're a great group. We're going to look at the defensive element first. Remember, we talked about that shield. The shield would have been roughly about two and a half feet by four and a half feet. It was, it was broad in its design. It was, it was designed for broad effectiveness, right? It was the shield of faith, that it is ultimately the faith that we have that protects us, right? It's broad. It's covering. It does its place. It has its purpose. But that's not what the sword was for. The sword was very precise and effective in its defense. It wouldn't be a, would not have been a broad sword. It would have been something that was very specific. Now, there is a broadsword, which is called the romphaya. Remember how y'all said I like to say that word, makara? Well, I like to say the word romphaya as well. I think about fire. Um, romphaya would have been what would have been a large, you know, Excalibur-type sword. You know, it's been one that you see them walking with on their shoulder. You, know, you can't really have a sheath because then it would be like dragging the ground. So they carried up here on their shoulder, right? So that would have been that type of sword, but we do see that sword in Scripture. We see it in Revelation when Jesus comes back and he casts judgment. He's going to swing that from fire, and he's going to cast broad judgment across all people. But that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about the Word of God, which is the what? Makara. If I say it again, y'all need to repeat it. All right? What is it? Y'all are amazing. So this would be similar to a believer, and this is what I want us to look at. Um, When you're new in the faith and you've experienced salvation, you have this broad general knowledge of who God is. An amazing, powerful work has taken place in your life. But chances are um, you don't have a lot of detail of Scripture. The truths of Scripture have not worked themselves out in your life. And that's that's okay. That's normal. That's how the process works. But the picture is, is we need to get to a place where the Word of God in our life It's going to be precise. It's going to be something that we can target directly the things that are going on. Because if not, you become ineffective in your ministry. You're saved. You're going to heaven, right? Your fire insurance is taken care of. But that's not the only reason why we come to faith in Jesus Christ. We come so that we can be conformed more into Christ's likeness. So that when the day that we do go meeting finally, we can look back across our life and see an amazing work that has taken place. That we've been conformed more and more into the image of his son. So that's what happened. So right now is actually when I want Pastor Dominic to come up and I want to have a sword fight with him real quick. Notice how he carries it on his right shoulder. 
He's so scriptural. But he is left-handed, and for this, and for this battle, you can switch hands, because I wouldn't want you to have any, I wouldn't want you to have any, um, any uh, you know, excuse, right? So this right here would have been, what's this one called? Romphaya. You got you to enunciate the faya, right? Romphaya. And what's this one called? The makara. Man, we're going to be speaking another language before service is over. All right, so, this, so the picture of defensive is this, right? So if Dominic was going to try to swing this sword at me, and it wouldn't necessarily have to be this sword, but it was, he's saying that's a knife. But it too is rather flimsy um, in its design. So, if, so as a believer, when that, when that error comes at me, that untruth comes at me, if I just stand here like this, is this sword going to do anything for me? Is this broad, just general knowledge going to do anything? No, I've got to come here, right? Yeah, hear that noise? Do it again. Yeah, not, this is from Amazon, be careful. <laughs> As we already know. So the picture is, is and, and, and if I'm even off by a small amount, what happens? I don't even have to be way out here. I just have to be right here. So if I don't have the truth of the Word of God in my heart to see what's happening, I'm hit. Now, once again, if he kills me, I'm going to heaven, right? So to God be the glory there, but I'm no longer effective for the gospel. And even though it may not be something extreme as losing your life, but let's just say it gets you into a place of defeat where you feel like you have no value and you have no worth and you don't see the, who Christ is in your life, and then guess what? You've been sidelined. You're not out there pursuing the gospel and preaching it and teaching it just as, as God has called us and being conformed into more Christ-likeness. But what we need to do is have a very precise act. So when it hits, you can do it. So then the next thing is, is I'm going to take my shield, I'm going to pass it right here, and this will be the next one right there. Just a flesh wound. It's just a flesh wound, though, he said. <laughs> it's just a flesh wound. Thank you very much. Great job. That's right. What's that sword called? Romphaya. Look at here, look at, look at here in Ephesians, what we had done a little bit earlier. Ephesians 4.14 says, and, and this is the picture I want us to see for this, this, this getting excited and learning about the Word of God. It says, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. But if you go a little bit before, look what he says. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood and to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's why we do it. That's why we do it. Hosea 4, 6, the first part says, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge because they have rejected knowledge. And that's not just head knowledge. That's the knowledge of who Christ is and the work that he's done in your life. Look at what Jesus did before. Some of you may have already been thinking about this, 4, 3 through 11. And the tempter came to him. This is when they in the, in the desert. He says, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. A little bit further into verse 5, it says, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. And Jesus said to them, again it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to them, all these I will give to you if you fall down and worship me. And then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and in him only shall you serve. That's powerful. Jesus gives us a clear picture of the defensiveness of the Word of God and then in turn the offensiveness, right? Because many times in your life you might be presented with a partial truth as Satan just did there, right? But if you don't know, if you don't have the Word of God to respond back to it, guess what happens? It goes back to that, that verse in Ephesians where we are tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. We get caught up in false beliefs. We get caught off and we get off the track of being effective for the ministry and in being more like Christ. That's what happens. But the main thing I want us to talk about here is the fact that it is an offensive weapon. Because that is its primary job, that it will do an offensive work. 
in, in your life and the lives around you. Remember, it's sharp. It's a two-edged sword. It's made for precise attacks and to ensure victory, right? The Roman soldier would have been in hand-to-hand combat. He would have had his shield. This would have been able to be behind it so that he could direct blows and he could actually make this go exactly where he needed to go. If he needed to get him in the, in the gut, it was the gut. If it was the head, it was the head. The idea was is that this was, he could be agile with it. And just like us as believers, we're called to be agile. And we're supposed to be precise with the Word of God. Not just flailing about, but having specific purpose in what we do. Because that is how the Spirit has designed it to be. First point here as we go th- move through, it says, The Word of God is powerful in your life. It's powerful in your life. And I want to kind of redirect a little bit to Hebrews 4 here. We're going to, I want to look at this because it kind of expounds on this verse in Ephesians. But 12 through 13 says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from its sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him who we must give account. So this is what we see here in that first part, that the Word of God is living and active. The Word of God is living and active. And that word active there speaks of power. That activity is one of, is one of power that's taking place. And the power of it is in the message of the gospel of what Christ done. Think about, for many of you here, um, when, you, when you came to know Christ as your Lord and Savior, consider the power that the gospel that the Word of God had in your life in that moment. It took you, a sinner who was going to hell, who was not in relationship with God, and put you into a position of, of righteousness to where now you're in perfect relationship with the holy God. Consider the power that came in that, right? Consider what happens there. Romans 1.16, Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And when you look at what Paul's saying there, he's not speaking just in general of the gospel. He's speaking about the very impact that the gospel has had in his heart. There's power that happens when we come to know Jesus Christ. Romans 10, 17 says, So faith comes comes from hearing, and hearing by what? The Word of God. It's the Word of God that has the power to change our lives. You know, some of you may be here today, and you have not given your heart to the Lord Jesus Christ. You're here, you may be sitting here, you may not have any idea why you're here. You may think that you came here just because somebody else sent you. But I'm here to tell you that you're here because the Holy Spirit is drawing your heart. Because the Holy Spirit is doing a work. And that the Word of God has the power to change and draw you and bring you unto salvation. It's clear, we see it over and over again. And I just encourage you to continue to seek it. Ask questions, speak to the people in your life that you know are a believer. Read the Word of God. Remember what it does? It is the teacher of truth. It is where the source of revelation takes place. Romans 10, right? It says we first believe in our hearts and then we confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. The Word of God is powerful to change us. And not just in our walk into salvation, but now for the rest of your life as a believer, you're going to experience the power of the Word of God in each and every situation. But here's the thing, we, have that, we see that power in salvation, but church, we can't live with just that experience at salvation, right? We already know what happens there, right? That's the idea, this general knowledge. We don't draw it in tight, and, we, and, we, and, we, and we're ineffective in battle in this idea of truth because we don't know truth. Truth is not in our hearts, right? We can't combat it back and forth. We've got to bring it in a little bit tighter because ultimately we're to become more Jesus each and every day. Romans 8, 29 says, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that we might be the firstborn of many brothers. When we look at that word conformed there, we see that also in Romans, um, Romans 12 and 1, but it's a little bit different here. This picture here of being conformed is from the word symorphous, right? It's not completely metamorphosis as we see in the other one, but it's not just the molding and modeling of something that we see, but being conformed to the world. This here is a specific conforming that takes place of us becoming more like Christ because we're a new creature. We're no longer the person that we were. We're a new creature, and because of that, that new creature is being conformed more and more into the image of who Christ is and who we are in our lives. 
Ephesians 4, 15 and 16, we studied this months back. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, with each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. There's this process that we call sanctification that's taking place. We're being made more and more like Christ, but not because we just sit there and we live off of our salvation experience, because we're daily studying the Word of God. It's getting into our heart and getting into our lives. So we see that the Word of God is powerful. Our second point here is that the Word of God is precise in your life. Hebrews 4, 12, 13, continuing, says, Sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. We see a very precise thing here, right? Look at those words, sharper, piercing, and discerning, right? There's this idea that there's a very specific, there's a very precise word. Just like with that sword, when that Roman soldier would have engaged it, it would have had a very precise thing that it was going to do. It was not to be just general in nature. Remember, we, Ben gave us this one too somewhere, that we fight from the position of victory, not for victory, right? The battle's been won because of who we are in Christ because of this word of God. We're now standing in this place. The enemy of our soul knows exactly where we're tempted, knows exactly where we struggle, where we are weak, and he will challenge who you are in Christ as a believer. But I remember this, that when we are weak, he's strong, right? When we are weak, he is strong. The word of God is like a surgeon's scalpel. It's very sharp. It makes a precise cut. It knows exactly what it's going in there to do. If you ever just played around with a, you know, an art scalpel, those things are sharp, right? You just barely touch them. And they make a real, real thin line, right? They do a very, very precise work. It's not like a chainsaw, right? That's nasty. They do some nasty stuff. But a scalpel, it just goes in clean and tight. And look at the things it tells us it does. The soul and the spirit. Right? It, it can draw a line between those two things. Joints and marrow. I mean, just consider a bone. Right? Consider the construction of a bone and the fact that it can get in between the marrow and the bone. I mean, that's, that's microscopic. right? And then our thoughts and our intentions, what I think is probably the most powerful one for me, you can't even tell the difference between your thoughts and intentions. You might think you can, and you might feel like you've got a hold on it, but your thoughts and your intentions can be divided by the Word of God. It has that kind of power. It has that kind of precision. I was thinking about some things where it has this precise work in your life, and I was, it, it came to my memory from you know, years ago as, I was, as, I, as the Lord was chastening me, and I think he does this for all of us in a lot of ways, but I was thinking about this idea of what we watch on TV, right? How many of you sit here and probably watch something different today than what you did years ago as the Lord has worked in your life? A couple of you, a couple of you raise your hands. A couple of you know the Lord is here today. But it's a big deal, right? TV's a, TV's, is a big part of our lives, you know, whether you, whether you want to admit it or not. But as I was thinking about that, and I was thinking about this idea of this precise work and how it, and not having this general idea and living on this salvation experience and having this very specific rhema word, I was reminded of a couple of things. First of all, was Psalms 119.11. For I have stored up your word in my heart so that I may not sin against you. You know, maybe, just maybe there are times when we, we sin, well not maybe, but we sin because that word is not stored up in our heart. We don't have anything to recall. I was looking at Psalms 101.3, it says, I will not set before my eyes anything that is worthless. I hate the work of those who fall away and it shall not cling to me. Psalm 16.8, I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand and I shall not be shaken. So though this may seem like a minimal, a minimal thing, if those scriptures were stored up in your heart and you sat there before your television and something came on, do you believe there would be conviction in your heart? Which makes Psalms 119.11 so true. I have stored up your word in my heart so that I may not sin against you. And that's a very specific word. That's the rhema word at work in your life as a believer. Because it says clearly, I will not set before my eyes anything that is worthless. And you can apply that to many things. But if that word and that scripture is in your heart as a believer, 
then you have no choice but to respond to it. Because what do we also know? That not only does it teach us, but it brings to our remembrance. Right? The Holy Spirit brings to our remembrance the things that have been stored up in our hearts. I was thinking about the things that we, that we allow uh, to influence us in our walk. And I've got a list here of a couple of them. I'm going to read through them. But here's some things you might be thinking about. I'm not a good enough parent. I'm not a good enough spouse. I'm not a good enough friend. I'm not a good enough employee. I'm not good enough in general. Or my last one here, I am good enough. All of those are areas that we find ourselves in as a believer, and it's a problem, right? Right? It, it sidelines you. It defeats you. It, it prevents you from doing the ministry work of the gospel. But what, have we, what did we study back in the beginning of Ephesians? It's not about us. It's about who we are and what? In Christ. So when you think you're not a good enough parent, yeah, there may be things that you need to improve on. There may be things you need to get better. But that's not what the Word of God says about you. Because you are in Christ and because you're a godly parent, because you're a godly spouse, that's who you are. Right, I heard it many years ago, and, and, and I, it might even, I can't remember if it was me or Rachel was that one, but this guy was preaching, and he says, you're a child of God, act like it, people. You are a child of God. You are who you are because of the work that Christ has done in your life. What was our first point? The Word of God is powerful, right? What did Paul say? That it's so powerful that it brings us unto salvation, right? If you're here today, and I, and I speak with compassion on this because I understand that it's real. I understand that there are real legitimate struggles, and I understand that lies compound upon themselves and build and turn and maul, and you find yourself in a place that you just don't know what to do. Well, first of all, go to the Word of God, firstly. Get the brothers and sisters of Christ around you to speak life into you and tell you it's who you are in Christ, church. The work that He's done is not of you, it's because of who He is. And because of that, that's where we stand, right? That's the whole idea behind this whole series, is that we stand in who we are in Christ Jesus, righteous before him. Ephesians 2.10 says this, for we are his workmanship. And that word workmanship there speaks of one of perfection. This is what the word of God says about you, church. That we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should what? Walk in them. That's the promise that you cling to. That's the rhema word that we hold on to as a believer. So that when we have these struggles, when these errors and these lies come across us as believers, we speak the truth of the word of God. No, God, you said I am a workmanship before you. You created me. You have been fearfully and wonderfully made. That's what you claim. And that's the idea that that soldier would have had of that very precise work that would have taken place. And you hit it right there. And you end it once and for all. The Word of God cuts right where it needs to for us to become what? More like Him. That we would be more like Christ. And our third point here is that the Word of God is exposing in your life. Continuing Ephesians, it says, And no creature is hidden from His sight. You might not like to be called a creature, but you are. But all are naked and exposed to the eyes of Him whom we must give account. The Word of God is exposing Right? We know that it's precise, and it does a quick work, and it gets down deep, and sometimes it hurts. Sometimes it's painful, but we know it's to ultimately bring healing in our life. It's powerful, but we see here that it's exposing. There's two words there, naked and exposed, that are, that are used there, and that's pretty powerful. Naked kind of speaks for itself, right? That's, you know, we won't go on that one any further. But exposed, there's something, there's something neat here about that word exposed, and what it means is to lay, to lay bare. And actually, when you look at it, what it would have been, it would have been to expose your neck, to grab by the neck, to bend back the head and expose this part of your neck that would have been to kill somebody, right? Let's just say for the sake of church, to kill a lamb, right, or an animal. But the picture there is that it's, it's ex- that exposing work. We're vulnerable before the Word of God, right? There's nothing, there's nothing that's hitting. There's nothing there that can go on. We're exposed to it. And once again, that exposing is in an attempt and in an effort for us to become more and more like Christ. Look at Matthew 3.23, the parable of the sower, and it says, And as for what was sown on good soil, so you know that in order for there to be good soil, there's an exposing that takes place, right? For all of you that do farming, the ground gets tilled up, you get all of the everything working, you get the organic material back in the earth, sometimes you let it sit longer than others, but there's a, there's a tilling, there's an uprooting, there's a rolling over on itself that happens so that the ground can be fertile, 
right, and can, and can receive the seed. And right here, the seed is the word of God. So that what? So this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, and in one case, a hundredfold, and in another, sixty, and in another, thirty. This exposing work is a good work. Ephesians 5.26, and this is when we were talking about our, the families, but he's talking about the marriage relationship, and he's speaking about him and the church, and he says that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word. And that word, word, right there is rhema. It's a very specific thing that happens in order for us to be sanctified, to be becoming more and more like Christ. But here's the thing, as that process is happening, we've got to be honest with ourselves. We've got to see the reality of the work that God is doing in our heart. We've got to acknowledge that even though you might not want to deal with that, even though you might not want to, that is the Word of God, the rhema Word of God doing a work so you can be washed by the water. I think of it like this, you know, when you, when you see something get cut open or a wound in a, in a, in a surgery situation, and, they, and it opens up, and they're there with, you know, that non-sterile water, it's probably Kentwood, and they're just flushing out that wound, right? And they're getting it all clean, and they're keeping it to where they can see, but there's a, there's a washing that takes place that's actually, that's cleaning it out. Well, it's the same thing in our lives. This water of God's Word is continually washing in on us. You know, water is the universal solvent for you science people out there. Right? And it just does that. It has the ability to just constantly erode away at things, even when just the smallest drop seems like nothing should happen. You know, think about your gutter at your house and where it's been dripping for the last 10 years. You've got a hole there in the cement right now because that water has just been slowly eroding away. The molecules have been attaching to other ones and slowly drawing away that. But the Word of God is even that much more powerful in our life as a believer. As you take this in as we get into the Word of God until it gets into us, until we see what it says in Psalms 119.11, that we've stored it up in our heart. Every time that happens, there's a washing of the water of God's Word that happens in our life. But here's the thing. There's all the realities of it, but it brings us to our last point here, that we must train with the Word of God in our life. We must train with the Word of God in our life. The Roman soldier, training was a really big deal. Now, when they trained, they didn't use the sword that they would use for battle. They used what would have been a faux sword. It would have been wicker in nature. It would have been something a little, a little more soft. But here's the unique thing. It was t- usually twice as heavy as what the actual one would have been. Their shield, everything would have been more heavy, would have been bigger and bulkier than what they actually needed because they knew that if they could, if they could practice with that and they could get gone with that, that when they were in the reality of battle, they would be crisp. And they would be short because all of a sudden now this sword is lighter, right? And this shield is lighter. And the same thing goes for us as a Christian. You know, you don't need to go buy the biggest and heaviest Bible, right? So that you can train with it. But what you need to do is put an emphasis on the training of the Word of God in your life. You need to dig into this harder and harder each and every day. Studying it more and more each and every day. So that when that battle comes... And that Holy Spirit does a work that only He can do and He brings to your remembrance that which you have stored up in your heart, you have a very precise moment of contact that takes place. And because of it, not only have you done the work that God has called you to, but the gospel has gone forward. His kingdom has been advanced. And the belief is that lives and hearts are being touched. People are coming unto salvation because of the precise work of the Word of God. We've got to be ready. We've got to have scripture in our, in, our, in our minds and in our hearts. For those of you that are part of our D groups right now, an element of D groups is, is learning how to memorize scripture. Of course, we're studying through it day by day. And some of us are studying through it. Some of the groups are using this section. It's called the fighter verses. Some of you may have heard of it. It's a great, great part of it. It's, it's broken down for us. And it's not only just a general, once again, memorizing of scripture. It's scriptures that you can recall that will go against very specific things in your life. When you're struggling about being that parent that's not good enough or that spouse that's not good enough, there's that scripture that will come quick to your memory. And you'll be able to fight against it and be able to be precise with that word. As I was studying, I was reading this story, and I'm not sure if it's, a, if it's made up or not. It's not really the point. But there was this man, he was sitting out... Um, in a park, and there was a big garden that was around. And he was just paying attention to the little things that were happening in the garden, right? Clearly there was plants, and there was flowers, and 
the butterfly caught his, caught his eye. And as he sat there and watched, he was just, that was what he was there for. He noticed the butterfly, and as you've seen, it just kind of flitted and fluttered and it sometimes landed here, sometimes didn't. You know, kept its little wings going. It was just kind of all over the place, right? Just bouncing around. Made note of it, right? No big deal. He was just out there. A little while later, a botanist came up, and he showed up there with his book, and he sat there with his book and his magnifying glass, and he began to study all the elements of the leaves, and he was watching the way the insects were interacting, and he's just sitting there, and he's just writing tons and tons and tons of notes, right? Going detail by detail, piece by piece, and really just really into what he's doing. But eventually, he got all that he needed, and he he walked off, and the guy was sitting there, and he noticed the bee, right? The bee came in, and the bee had, first of all, it didn't appear to have anything with him. He just came in the way he was, but he'd go into that flower, and he just was in there, and he was digging and rooting, and sometimes he'd see him go deep into the flower, and sometimes he saw him come out, and if he got enough there, he'd jump right there to the next one, but when he left, it was very clear, and it was very obvious that he had he had gotten what he needed, the pollen and the nectar to bring it back to the hive in order to make the honey, right, so that we can have that amazing thing for us. So he's watching all these things, and I started thinking as I was reading, I said, you know, that's like us as believers. You know, sometimes, sometimes in our life, we're that butterfly. We flit and we flutter from sermon to sermon and message to message and Bible study to Bible study. And, and all we tend to really get out of it maybe is a couple good ideas, maybe some feel-good emotions, but nothing of any real substance. It's just very general in nature. And I think sometimes as believers, we're just like that botanist. We show up and we become legalistic and we get to every little nuance and detail, which in of itself seems like the good and the right thing, but we miss the truth of the Word of God. We miss the grace of the Word of God. And we walk away we are ineffective. Sometimes we're like the bee. We come in completely empty and we leave completely filled up. And what we take, we bring back to others and it does an amazing work. It's sweet. It creates that honey in our life that's desirable for other people. It's what changes us and sanctifies us from the inside out. We're washed by that water. So my encouragement to you is to is to be that bee, right? Go in empty and leave full with not only the the knowledge of the Word of God, but the truth of who the Word of God is. As I was thinking about that for us as a church, once again, how do we put that into practice? And I I was thinking about our discipleship pathway. We might have a slide here for you. You know, here at Living Word, we believe that we, we want you to be that bee, right? So look, look at it like this quite simply. Every Sunday, we preach and we teach through the Word of God. So that when we show up here on a Sunday and we leave here, whether we leave here with just really a lot of joy, possibly some sorrow, maybe you walk out of here on a Sunday and you even might feel a little bit uh, down is the way you may see it. But church, I want to encourage you that when your life is impacted by the Word of God, it's a big deal. It's powerful. It's speaking to you in a very specific way. You don't always encounter the Word of God and walk away with a smile. But you always walk away with the pure truth and the sanctifying work of who God is. Our D groups, excuse me, our life groups meet on a monthly basis where you develop a community of believers around you that can walk together. So in that time when you're struggling saying, I'm not a good spouse, I'm not a good mom, I'm not a good friend, that those believers will come alongside of you and say, no, you are because of who you are in Christ. Our D groups that meet every day we on a, uh, through reading through the scripture and meet once a week to study. I mean, the testimonies that we're hearing in our church right now is profound. In my group that I lead alone, the work that God is doing in my life and the life of those is unbelievable. But why? Because we got some good program in place? Because we've got some structure to it? No, because the word of God is working in people's lives. People are being sanctified and drawn and becoming more like Christ each and every day because they're holding true to what Psalms 119.11 says, that I've hidden your word in my heart so that I may not sin against you. And then we got our impacting the world where we do it through missions, through foreign missions, as was talked about with Mexico. We do it in local missions, and we do things like Home of Christian where they went to Florida. We do the House of Hope 
We do all these different things and so many things here that you people do that we don't even know because the work of the, of the cross and the work of the body is for everyone here. Not just those that feel like you speak well or because you've been given a great schedule and you've got flexibility in your job. Every one of us is called for the work of the ministry that we would become more and more like Christ. 2 Timothy 2.15 says here, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. God, I just thank you for this time, and I thank you for your word. God, it is a powerful word, God, that draws us and brings us God, to a place of salvation. It's a powerful word, God, that day after day proves itself to be faithful in our lives as a believer. God, it's a precise word. God, it's one that meets us in our very time of need, our very present hope and everything that we need. God, it is an amazing word of God. God, it does a great work. God, it exposes us. It exposes the reality and the wickedness and sinfulness of our heart. God, so that you once again can do a work that we would become more like you. And God, that we would be bold witnesses. God, that we would walk out of the doors of this church. God, and not in our own power, our own strength, but God, that we would proclaim the gospel message. God, that you are sovereign and God, you are holy. God, that we, apart from you, Father, are sinful and going to hell. And you provided the perfect Savior and atonement in Jesus Christ and the finished work of the cross. And God, that we would stay just as Paul did, that God, it is Christ and him crucified. And God, that we believe in our heart, God, and we made confession with our mouth because of the word of God that we heard, God, that you have saved us. God, that's who we are. God, we are children of the Most High God. God, I pray, Father, that your work, God, that your word is doing an amazing thing in our hearts. God, that we would leave here today, God, and we would be differently than the way we came in, God, because of one thing, and that the powerful word of God has spoken. God, thank you for your church. God, thank you for these believers here today. God, thank you, God, for saving us. And God, may we always be walking in a unity of the body of believers. God, tending to each one another in our needs, God, not once again because of us, but God, because of what you've done in our lives. God, in Jesus' mighty name, Father, thank you for this day, and thank you for what you've got in store for us. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.